We've seen already in this section of Genesis how the whole Joseph narrative parallels the gospel narrative. This is an instance of what we call typology. Typology is instances of people, places, or things, or patterns of people, places, or things in the Old Testament, which foreshadow and prefigure something in the New Testament. And Joseph and his life events foreshadow or prefigure or typify Christ and his life events. We see that just as Joseph goes to his brothers on a benevolent errand, so Christ Jesus comes to us who are to be his brothers on a benevolent errand. But instead of receiving him, Joseph's brothers essentially kill him, or so they think. They're, they're going to throw him in a pit, but then they decide to just sell him into slavery instead, and they, they figure he's as good as dead. He's gone. This, this man will not rule over us. We will not have this man rule over us, is their mentality. And so we did to Christ. We crucified him. He, as a human race, we crucified our benevolent brother who came to us on a mission for our good. But as Joseph went down into Egypt, and then down into what he calls the pit here in Genesis 40 and verse 15, the dungeon and pit is the same word in the Hebrew. As Joseph goes down into the pit, and yet he's doing good work while he's down there. So Christ Jesus descends to the grave, but he's doing good work while he's down there. He's making atonement for us. We see in this passage today Joseph's vindication, his resurrection, as it were. Though he wasn't actually dead, there was a sense in which he was as good as dead. He had descended down into the pit. His brothers had said, Let's see what will become of his dreams. Let's see what will become of God's decree that he will rule and he will reign. Let's see what happens after we're through with him. He had descended down into the pit, and here he is raised. In order that God's decreed purpose that he shall indeed rule and reign over his brothers would be realized. This, of course, prefigures Christ's resurrection. That God had said that Christ Jesus shall rule and reign. As for me, I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. We said, let's see what will become of this decree. We crucified him. He descended to the pit. He did good work while he was down there. And of course, in due time, God raised him up. We see in this section tonight, Genesis 40 and 41, something that parallels Christ's resurrection, something that typifies, foreshadows, prefigures Christ's resurrection. We'll get to that a little bit more in a little while. But first things first, let's examine this section of the Joseph narrative more closely. We see in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph interpreting the prisoner's dreams. There's much human interest in this passage. Just things that are, just like you like to read a good story. 
whether in a newspaper or on Facebook or something gets shared around and you just like to read a good this is a good story Joseph's here in prison he's actually it seems like he's still in Potiphar's house you know which explains actually why he was raised to be in charge of the prison because in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 1 Potiphar is called the captain of the guard and in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 3, we read that Joseph was put in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. That's Potiphar. Verse 4, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. That is the cupbearer and the baker. So what's happened here? Maybe, maybe Potiphar has realized that his wife lied. Maybe he knows actually that his wife has a pattern of exaggerating and lying and stretching the truth or whatever. Who knows what's happened here? But the point is he still to some extent has Potiphar's favor, trust. Perhaps, perhaps Potiphar was conflicted even about this decision. Maybe that's why he didn't kill him, but sent him to prison. Maybe he wasn't exactly sure. We don't know. We don't know these details, but it seems like he's actually in some kind of confinement in a different section of Potiphar's house. There wouldn't have been an institution known as a prison, like what we would have in our day and age. And so it would be more like this is probably a section of Potiphar's house in which Joseph is confined. And he finds favor here, even, in, even still in Potiphar's eyes, such that he's basically put in charge of the prison. The cupbearer and the baker of the king commit an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, verse 1. We don't know exactly what happened, and it's actually not really important to the details of the story. The thing that's important is that these are high-ranking officials who are actually known to Pharaoh, who speak face-to-face with Pharaoh. That's the, that's the important detail in this story. And of course, they both have dreams. And you can just imagine... The scene. They both have dreams. They know it can't be a coincidence because they both had very similar dreams the same night. There must have been some kind of impression made upon them by their dreams that they actually talked to one another in the morning. And imagine after having this dream which impressed you so vividly, you wake up and you talk to the person beside you in prison and you find that they had a similar dream. Now there's no way you can think it's a coincidence or indigestion from something you ate a little bit too late at night. You know that there's meaning to this, and yet you can't ascertain the meaning. This is what happens. Joseph enters in on this scene, says, tell me your dreams. So, of course, the chief cupbearer tells his dream. The interpretation of it is in three days you're going to be restored to your post. You can imagine the baker sitting by, listening. Yeah, this is great. Okay, good. There's, there must be a good thing coming for me, too. And so he tells his dream. But in his dream, the birds are eating out of the basket on his head. And this means that in three days, the birds will be eating his flesh from him. His head will be lifted up from him, it says. He will be decapitated. And then it says he will be hung on a tree. And some people think, well, that means he can't have been decapitated. But Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 12, for example, talks about hanging up princes by their hands in war. And so it seems that what happened here was that the baker was decapitated and hung up by his hands. 
as a lesson, presumably, don't mess with Pharaoh. And so, sure enough, these things come to pass. Joseph had one simple request for the cupbearer. Please remember me to Pharaoh. When things go well for you, remember me. Yet, we read in verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We see a couple of things in this passage that are noteworthy. We see Joseph's attitude in looking out for the well-being of others, even though he himself was in a hard situation. He obviously, Maddox, sit down. He obviously was not having a pity party. He obviously wasn't embracing a victim mentality. He was concerned about the others. He goes in and says, what's troubling you? Tell me your dreams. He has an outward focus. He's concerned about serving others and caring for others, even though he himself is in a difficult situation. This is commendable. This is, this is admirable. This is praiseworthy. We see when the chief cupbearer forgets him, two whole years go by. But we read nothing of Joseph complaining, murmuring. We read nothing of Joseph adopting a victim mentality here in this section either. Apparently he just keeps doing his work, being faithful. Again, this is commendable. But this is not the primary reason why this section of Scripture is included. Its primary reason is simply that it sets up the next section, which is why we're covering two chapters at once. Remember the chapter and verse divisions are not part of the original manuscripts that came much later. So this is all really one narrative. And the section about the cupbearer and the baker, though they certainly do show us something of Joseph's good character, which is worthy of emulation, that's not the main reason why it's in this text. It's there to set up the later encounter with Pharaoh. You imagine if this section with the cupbearer and baker wasn't there. Pharaoh has a dream. And all of a sudden, Joseph is called from the prison to go speak to Pharaoh. Imagine if you just read that, you'd think, well, that's really far-fetched. How did that happen? What happened there? This provides context for us to understand. Joseph had interpreted, with God's help, the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, such that when Pharaoh has a dream two years later, the cupbearer, that's the connection to Joseph. The cupbearer mentions Joseph's name to Pharaoh then. He says, I remember my offenses today. Chapter 41 and verse 9. And he mentions Joseph to Pharaoh. Pharaoh calls Joseph to himself. And Joseph goes. Pharaoh says in chapter 41 and verse 15. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. The mentality that Pharaoh was operating with was that he needed to find someone who was, in whom was some kind of magical power, in whom was some kind of spiritual insight, in whom was something special in himself. He had called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men already in chapter 41 and verse 8. 
but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's mindset was, well, what I need then is a better magician. And so he calls Joseph and says, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. But Joseph quickly shifts the thinking of Pharaoh away from himself to God. He says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Chapter 41 and verse 16. Again, one thing we see in this passage is the power of the true and living God over the power of the magicians and the wise men and by extension the gods of Egypt. And this of course will be developed in the Exodus narrative as God goes head to head in confrontation with the gods of Egypt. But this is this idea is introduced to us here in seed form. None of the magicians operating within the pagan religious system of Egypt can interpret Pharaoh's dream for him, which means none of the gods of Egypt can grant insight to these guys to open up the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams to him. But the God of Israel can. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can. And yet even that's not the main idea of this passage. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. And Joseph, with God's help, interprets them to Pharaoh. And then presumably, with the wisdom endowed to him by God, with God's mandate, with God's prompting, Joseph proceeds not only to interpret the dreams, but to advise Pharaoh. Here's a prisoner advising who is the most powerful man in the world at this time? Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is what the dreams mean. Seven good years are coming, and then seven bad years. This is what you should do. He proposes a plan that's eminently, manifestly wise. Store up during the good years. In order that there may be rations to get us through the bad years. Let someone be put in charge of this to manage this. You, could, you couldn't possibly think that Joseph is trying to put himself forward here. That would, that would be ludicrous. It would be the furthest thing from Joseph's mind, I'm sure. That when he suggests let somebody be in charge of all this, that he's thinking, I hope Pharaoh picks me. Because remember, he's, he's actually a prisoner. Yes, he's in charge of the prison... Well, that's a very small role compared to being in charge of Egypt. So when he, when he says, basically appoint a vizier, which was a position just under Pharaoh. When he says appoint a vizier to oversee this, he's not really candidating for that role. He's not really trying to send a subtle message to Pharaoh. Hmm, I wonder who you could pick. But someone should do it. That's not what he's doing. He's actually literally just serving, advising Pharaoh with the wisdom that God has given him. And presumably with the mandate of God to do such. But Pharaoh's response is very rational. This proposal pleased Pharaoh, verse 37, and all his servants. 
And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? In whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh's response is so rational. Who else would we put though? All the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt couldn't even tell me the dream. This man comes and tells me the dream and then gives wise advice about what we as a nation should do about all this. Can we find another man like this? In other words, and here's the thinking. In other words, and here's the thinking. This man ought not to return to the pit. This man ought not to remain in the pit. He doesn't deserve that. This man deserves to be raised up. This man deserves to be exalted. This man deserves to rule and reign. It is not fitting that he should be down there anymore. It's fitting that he should be up here. It became apparent to Pharaoh that there was no reason for Joseph to remain in the pit or in the dungeon any longer. And so Pharaoh raised him up. This teaches us that when God desires to raise up his servant to power, he does so in spite of obstacles in the way. In Joseph's case, think of how improbable it was that this man who entered Egypt as a slave in a Midianite caravan, how improbable it was that 13 years later he would be the vizier of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh, how improbable it was. How improbable it was, not only that a slave would rise to such power, but that a slave, after descending into prison, would rise to such power. Joseph had to be among the least likely in Egypt to rise to the position of vizier. How unlikely is it that anyone in this room would ever serve as the prime minister of Barbados? How much less likely that someone spending the night tonight in Dodds will one day serve as the Prime Minister of Egypt. And yet this is what happens. Remember Joseph's dreams way back at the beginning of the narrative. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had a dream. He says to his brothers, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Yes! He is indeed to reign and rule over you. It is by God's appointment. And no matter how unlikely it looks... As circumstances develop, when God has appointed one of His servants to rule and reign, then rule and reign they shall. This one to whom God gave dreams to this effect sees them fulfilled in due time. As He is raised from the pit to sit on the throne to rule 
and reign over his brothers and to dispense what is needful to them. It's by God's appointment. We see, of course, later in Scripture, another unlikely king. David, the youngest of his brothers. Samuel comes and sees all the older brothers. Is this all your sons? Yeah, this is all. Well, actually, there is one. He's still out in the field. Bring him, bring him. Yes. This is the one. A man after my own heart, says the Lord. Raised a shepherd boy to become a king. Raised according to the decree of God. When God intends to raise one of His servants to rule and to reign over His people, He does so in spite of any obstacles in the way. In David's case, the incumbent king wanted to kill him. Chased him around on many occasions with a whole army to kill him. But David trusted in this principle that when God has decreed that one of his servants will rule and reign, in due time he will rule and reign. Because the arm of the Lord is not too short to accomplish that which he has purposed. And then of course there is yet again another king. Another unlikely ruler who is raised to reign over God's people. One who overcame not just improbability, a prisoner ascending to become vizier of Egypt, a shepherd boy ascending to become king of Israel, but a dead man ascending to rule and to reign over all the earth. And in fact, over the new heavens and the new earth. A kingdom of which there shall be no end. Christ Jesus came into this world. Lived a perfect, sinless life in the place of sinners. An innocent man, a good man, a holy man. And what that means is a loving man. Because God's law is love. One who loved God with all his heart, soul, strength and mind. And loved his neighbor as himself perfectly all through his life. You know what we did to him? We killed him. We will not have this man rule over us. As Joseph came to his brothers on a benevolent errand. So our heavenly elder brother came to us on a benevolent errand. But as Joseph was thrown down into the pit, so we cast down our heavenly elder brother into the pit, saying, we will not have this man rule over us. He was laid in a tomb, and a large stone was rolled across the entrance. And it was not only improbable that that man should rule and reign. By human standards, it was impossible. But all things are possible with God. And God had decreed long ago. In fact, in eternity past, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool. 
I have set my king on my holy hill. The kings of the earth and the rulers gather themselves together against the Lord and against His anointed. But He who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. I have set my king in Zion. He will rule and reign. This story, the story of David, these point forward to and prefigure the exaltation, the resurrection and the exaltation, the ascension of Christ Jesus from the pit to the throne. Jesus did good work while He was down there. He made an offering for sin which was not like the blood of bulls and goats. But He entered that heavenly holy place with His own blood. And after making an offering for sin once for all. After crying out on the cross, it is finished. As that song says, death could not hold Him. The grave could not keep him. As Pharaoh saw that there was no reason for Joseph to remain down there. He didn't belong down there anymore. He ought to be raised. So God looked upon his son and said he should not be down there any longer. He needs to be raised. He needs to rule and reign. God raised him up. To rule... And to reign over those brothers who had cast him down in the first place. To dispense unto them what was needful for them. As Joseph was raised to do so unto his brothers, so Christ Jesus was raised to do so for us, his brethren. God has His purposes in the suffering of His people, whatever they may be. It was God's purpose that Joseph should suffer. It was God's purpose that Jesus should suffer. But it was also God's purpose that Joseph in due time should be raised up and exalted. And it was God's purpose that in due time Jesus should be raised up and exalted. And as we saw earlier in the service, in fact, Christ has been raised. The first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in Him. Which means that not only was it God's purpose for Christ in due time to be raised, but it is God's purpose in due time for all of us who are trusting in Him to be raised. Which means that not only was He raised, and we will be raised, but because He was raised, we will be raised. It's because of His descension, His descent, and His ascension, that our descent ends in ascension also. We have been plunged into sin and misery in Adam. 
But because Christ has descended there, bearing in Himself the penalty that we deserve, because Christ has descended there, offering up to God what we ought to have in His perfect life and sin, because Christ Jesus descended all the way to the grave to answer the demands of the law for sinners, all of the sinners who are down there will be raised in due time with Him. So God has His purposes for suffering, for Joseph's suffering, for Jesus' suffering, for our suffering. But as Christians, we have this assurance. In due time, God is able to raise up His people. He raised up Jesus Christ after three days. After all His work down there in the pit was done. When it was no longer needful for Him to be down there anymore. When it was time for Him to be at the Father's right hand. God raised Him up. And He raised Him up for us. In order that in due time, we also would be raised up. God purposed for Joseph to rise above his brothers. God purposed for Christ to rise above his brothers. To rule and reign over us at his right hand. To dispense unto us what is needful for us. As Joseph did to his brothers. God has purposed that in the same manner as Christ was raised. So shall you be. Christ has been raised. And he's gone to prepare a place for us. That where he is. That we may be also.